Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. Today is Tuesday, March 8th, 2011, and our guests are Don Smithmeyer and Steve Anastasi from Sophia.org. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Great to be here. And they've done some high-tech wizardry and are both on the same microphone with different headsets. I really <laughs> appreciate you guys being here. Future of Education does get support from Illuminate, which is now Blackboard Collaborate. The project I work on for Illuminate is called Learn Central. It's a free social network for educators with Illuminate baked in. I hope you'll come and play around. Coming up, at the Q and ISTE shows, if you're thinking of attending or are planning on attending, we have some great crowdsourced activities there. Each show has an EduBloggerCon. That's an unconference prior to the show where we make up the agenda when we get there. They're very user, very beginner friendly, and they're a lot of fun. Uh, we talk about important things. Uh, people, some people tell us it's the best part of their show experience. Also, each show has a Bloggers Cafe area for conversation. And what we call Q Unplugged and ISTE Unplugged. These are areas in which you can actually sign up to present. If you've never presented before, you didn't get accepted to present, this is your chance. So go to QUnplugged.com or ISTEUnplugged.com to sign up. Those presentations are streamed out, so they can be seen by people who are not at the show. It's really a lot of fun. So hopefully, if you're going to either Q or ISTE, you'll join us for that. Coming up on the Future of Education, uh, two nights from now, Mitch Resnick from MIT Media Lab. Uh, then uh, a little bit of a break, the 21st, Bill Mathis will talk about mistakes we make when thinking about education. Uh, the next night, Frederick Hess on his book, the same thing over and over, when you look at education reform. So th that should be an interesting uh, set of uh, sessions back to back there. Uh, and then another little break, and we start back up in April with Bernadine Porter talking about local ed engagement. And you can see lots of other fun shows there, hopefully something of interest to you. If you've missed the show, they are all recorded. Uh, these and many more are up at futureofeducation.com in full Illuminate recording and in uh, MP3 format. So uh, please feel free to uh, listen to those, pick out one that's of interest to you. Kevin Kelly, last night on his book, What Technology Wants, really amazing and interesting, well worth the listen. The book will take you days to read. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is participative. The first thing I would encourage you to do is to go up to View Layouts and switch to the Wide Layout. It makes it a lot easier to see the chat. And it's um, just a little bit more comfortable for me, at least, I find. At the bottom of the participant window are some emoticons, a smiley face, a clapping hand. You can use those to indicate how you're feeling at a given moment. The hand with the green up arrow will let you raise your hand and ask a question. Uh, that uh, does require your microphone, so go up to Tools Audio and run the Audio Setup Wizard if you think you want to do that. Otherwise, you're welcome to leave questions in the chat. So we're going to give you a chance now to let us know where you're participating from. So look to the left of the map. We're looking for a wand with a red star at the end. Click on that, and then click on the map. And then you're welcome to shout out in the chat as well where you're where you're participating from, time, temperature, weather, all those good things. Oh, I actually accidentally erased all of those marks. You got to do it again. So click on that wand with the red star, and then click back on the map. So you have a very North America-centric crowd, Don and Steve. 
do have somebody from Australia. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so this is really fun for me, Don. You and I, you know, talked before uh, about Sophia, and, and at the time it was in private beta, and it's now been opened up. Um, I thought it, it might be worth having you tell us a little bit about your background first, uh, and, and sort of how that plays into the story, and kind of, um, you know, how long it's taken you to get to this place of actually opening Sophia.org up. Sure. Sure. Um, uh, my path in this world actually started in 1994. I was with uh, Capella Education Company at the time that it first began. And at that point, there were eight employees. I was one of those eight. And so for the next 14 years, I really had a front row seat for the creation of the first wave of online learning, the creation of online courses within a college setting. And in my time at Capella, I held a number of different roles, but I, my primary focus over those years was on trying to figure out ways to leverage the web and web technology to change the educational experience within a university. So it was an amazing experience, a, a great ride. I left Capella in 2008 and started my own businesses. Um, really love creating things, uh, applying new ideas. And that's what led me to the idea of Sophia. I really felt like overall there was still a lot of opportunity um, to create more innovation and do things differently than what has been done to date in the world of online learning. Okay, and, and uh, did you mention that I think it's been about two years of the works, right, Sophia? Yeah, the seed of the idea of Sophia was in uh, the summer of 2009. And um, we started to create a really crude prototype of the idea at that point. Uh, we got excited. We raised a little bit of seed capital and created a functioning prototype. We uh, spent a few months with uh, college students and high school students and college faculty and high school faculty in a lab environment in the summer of 2010. And after that, we went into a invitation-only beta that went from November of 2010 until this past Sunday. We did that for about four months, got incredible feedback and participation, and, and so it became a public beta yesterday. So last week, I got to go to the TED conference. I was actually at a thing called TED Active, but we were watched all of the sessions live. And uh, Saul Khan was one of the speakers in Khan Academy. Do you want to? For those who are familiar with what SalCon is doing, do you want to kind of compare the models? Sure. Um, I'd start by saying that Sal is uh, a hero of ours, and he's been a big inspiration here at Sophia. And to put it very simply, I, I look at what Sal has done as the ultimate validation of what we think is possible in a very short period of time by relative standards, he's created uh, 1,400, 1,800, I, I lose track, um, learning titles or videos on things from mathematics to science to finance. And he's made those available to students across the world. And he's had incredible results. And I look at that and say, with Sophia, the simple idea is we want there to be hundreds of thousands of cell cons across every element of the academic curriculum. 
So one of the interviews that I really enjoyed last year was with um, a university in Texas where they have a language program where they have the older students create the videos for the first year students. And I asked about the quality of the videos and the response was, um, well, they're, they're not always perfect, but because the younger students know the older students, they pay much more attention and they tend to actually know where mistakes were made. So their videos didn't have to be perfect. How much of you imagined this being um, sort of the best and the brightest creating videos versus sort of anybody in the world creating them and part of the power being in the act of creation? I tend to think of it more as the latter. I mean, I think in the act of creating a lesson, um, you know, it goes back to the old saying of the best way to learn something is to teach it. So just in the act of creating something alone, you've inspired or invoked a student to try and learn something that they may not have understood before. But I also think that in encouraging everybody to create, you may find some genius that was just dormant, that no one, including the creator, really knew was there. And so it's that possibility that I think is the most exciting idea of all within social teaching. It's really going to be interesting to see what we find, the creativity and talent that's actually out there. So Maria asks a really good question. It's one that is in my list, but we'll ask it now. So if um, if there is a meme right now, which which I think there is around the idea of uh, flipped learning or flipping learning, where the content, lecture content is watched outside of the class and the class is used for help and tutorials and students helping each other. Um, what makes Sophia different than just doing that on YouTube? Well, a, a couple of things and we'll spend a little bit of time um, digging deeper. But first of all, one thing that Sophia makes possible is that the student could have access to 20 or 30 different versions of that tutorial besides that of just their instructor. So the idea is if, if my algebra teacher is posting a video about how to factor polynomials, um, that may do it for me. And that might be the perfect solution for me to learn. But if it's not, for whatever reason, what we're trying to do with Sophia is to create 29 other versions or more of that same lesson from other teachers with other styles. The other thing is that unlike YouTube, Sophia is a multiple media platform. So it may be a video, but video isn't always the best way to learn something. And what we've created in the, the teaching environment here is a simple capability to supplement video with text or graphics or images or audio or slides or whatever it is that that author or instructor needs to communicate that idea. That's right, Don, and I would add that We've been working with schools, and we've heard that um, YouTube is a, is, it's a distracted environment. Uh, teachers are reluctant to send their students to YouTube. It's difficult to control uh, what their learning experience is going to be once they're there. Um, and we've all seen YouTube. We've all looked at the comments below. Sometimes it's very difficult to get a lot of instructional value from that. So one of the advantages of Sophia is that by making it focused on academics and making it focused on how people use this to learn, we can make it a focused environment um, around the particular topics that are being taught. Um, and so 
you know, there's great content on YouTube. There's great content uh, throughout the web. Uh, and Sophia is giving uh, teachers an opportunity to bring that together, to wrap that together, and offer it to, offer it to their students in a more focused environment. Okay, well we've got lots more questions, but let's we'll close down this web tour. And now you can use that icon again at the top of the window, the screen with the green right arrow. And Steve, I think you're going to go ahead and do this right. Take us through a little bit of tour of the site. Yes, I am. I'm just looking for the green arrow. Okay, so it's the uh, screen icon with the green right arrow. It's in the top row of icons and illuminate. Tell me when you see it. Bear with us here. No problem. Are you are you able to find the icon? We know you found uh, it before. No. So, okay. So, so what you're doing is you want to go back to the main Illuminate screen, and then underneath File, Session, View, Tools, Window, underneath the main menu, you should see some icons. And one is a. It's about the eighth one over, seventh or eighth one over, and it is a screen, a computer screen with a green white arrow. It's to the left of the CD-ROM icon. Yes, Steve, just a minute. We just lost the window. That's okay. Okay. Okay, here we go. Perfect. For those of you in the audience, you can change the size of that screen. So if it's not showing the full screen, feel free to go ahead and actually um, drag that to the size that you want it on your own computer screen. Okay, Steve, are we good? Yeah, it's still uh, refreshing for me. Now I'm seeing popular packets, meet Sophia, Sophia for teaching, and it looks like everybody is updated. So you, you, you can start. And do remember, though, that when you go from screen to screen, there will be a five-second lag before that screen refreshes for everyone. Okay, Steve, well, um, as we're kind of seeing in the opening, uh, Sophia is a, about uh, it's for teachers and students to create and curate learning content and assemble that content together into something that we call learning packets. It's a module uh, of, for learning that's meant to be easy to consume, 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes long, and it's focused on a particular academic topic. And so what we're looking at here on the home page of Sophia are just some, some featured learning packets right now. So um, I could go here and click on the, the uh, Science uh, tab and see some featured science packets. And just to pull one up as an example here, uh, I'm going to pull up a packet here called Cell Transport. And uh, here's a packet that was created by one of the users within Sophia. Um, 
So you can, as um, everyone's invited to come and look at Sophia.org. There's a lot of content there to browse around and look at. But one of the use cases I can walk through here, which will illustrate uh, how students might use Sophia, is I might be a student who is um, learning about, let's say, um, algebra or slope-intercept form from a teacher at my school, and there's something about the concept that I might not be understanding or getting. I can come out to Sophia. I can look for some additional information on slope-intercept form, or I just go out to Google and search on it. And if we're good at our search engine optimization strategies, our content will be rising to the top here shortly. So if I go out and search in Sophia, what I'm seeing here is a lot of different things about slope-intercept form. I'm seeing these learning packets that I spoke of. I'm seeing people that um, might be able to help me with slope-intercept form, or I'm seeing other questions and answers that might be asked about this topic. So just for the demo here, again, I'm a student. I want to go and find some learning packets about Sophia. So I can do that. I can filter down just on packets. Um, and I'll just browse down quickly here and let the screen refresh. But you can see there's a number of different facets and ways that people can narrow their search down. Um, over here in the, in the search results on the right, there's um, some learning packets I'm looking at. And I'm going to go and select one here uh, by Michael Morgan. Uh, it has this green check mark on it, and I'll explain what that is in a second. So all of the learning packets in Sophia are ranked and vetted by both the crowd, by users, as well as academic subject matter experts. Uh, people that have credentials or know-how or are teaching in the subject area can also provide an academic rating. And this is actually something that we've discovered in some of the lab and testing that we've done is that there's a difference between learning content or learning packets that might be creative and fun and entertaining and those that are also academically correct. So Sophia has this kind of uh, two-tiered uh, rating system. And I can go over and look at the ratings that have been provided, much like an Amazon or a site like that, where um, ratings are provided. But I can also see the academic ratings that have been put on this packet. Um, so there's an algorithm that we use to determine when a packet's considered kind of academically correct. So this learning packet here was created by um, a student. Um, and I'm just going to pause a little bit to let everything catch up here. But it's created by a student, and the learning packet has information about the learning objective and the summary, as well as it's been tagged to different subjects or topics. It could be tagged to education levels, um, to a course, to a school, or to even to a, a particular teacher, um, textbooks or sections within textbooks. And this learning packet, uh, this particular packet, uh, has a video. It's actually a screencast that's been shot about how to work with the slope-intercept form. I'm not going to play the video. Um, a screencast that's been shot on uh, how to solve a particular problem. And then there's just a problem that's been worked out on a whiteboard. Here Michael took a picture of it with his iPhone and uploaded the image to, um, to Sophia. So you can see it's a fairly uh, low investment activity in creating one of these learning packets. Now, let's say, again, I'm a student. I found this packet interesting. I like it. I've learned something from it. And I want to learn more about Michael Morgan. So I can go in here and I can go to Michael Morgan's profile. I can see information about him. I can also see other learning packets that Michael's created. And I can see that a number of his packets have this green check on it or this academic seal. So I feel better about um, the content that, she, that he's created. Um, but we've also taken that a step further 
um, and provide this ongoing scoring of users, this scoring we call the SOFIA score. And this is kind of inspired by, I don't know, you can think of like your credit score where there's a certain profile that's out there of what it means to be a good steward with your credit. And we came up with a fairly simple profile of what it means to be a good steward on SOFIA. So we identified six attributes and these are not too dissimilar from you know, what you might um, see on the wall of a, of a class when you walk in. It's about things like do good work, help each other, uh, be active, have a presence, you know, be nice to each other, um, follow the rules that we have and help us grow the community. So based on actions that Michael's doing and also how other users are responding to him, his SOFIA score is constantly calculated and it's one more way that users can learn about the, the uh, users in the system. So I might decide that I want to um, follow or connect with Michael, much like on, on uh, Twitter or on Facebook. I can then be notified of other actions that are going on when he's creating content, when he might be answering a question, or when my questions are being answered. Um, so that's just a really, uh, just a few minutes on how a student might come into Sophia and use it. And I can, I can pause here for questions. I also want to have a chance to walk you through what it's like to create content on Sophia and then how teachers are using Sophia in the system today. Okay, Steve, because we did get a couple of quick questions. Uh, is there screen capture technology built into Sophia? Or how does someone actually make a screen capture and then load it into the system? That's right. That's right. Well, we're finding that, that screen capture is becoming pretty popular. Um, way to record these videos. Um, right now, um, there's a number of screencasting tools on the market that are fairly easy to, you, uh, to use, but on our product roadmap is to have an integrated uh, screen capture tool that will simplify the process of taking the screencast and then uploading it directly into a learning packet. Okay, and then there, were, there was a little bit of a chat in here about um, do um, uh, packets or modules get approved? Uh, is, you know, what's the crowd uh, kind of response and is that the response that determines if, if something is inappropriate? Um, and uh, we'll start, we'll stop there. So uh, how do you deal with inappropriate material? Yeah, that, I mean, this, we could spend an hour talking about this because over the last two years I can tell you that we've invested many, many hours trying to solve this, this issue. And we don't have it right, but I think we're, we have a good place to start from. So first of all, what we're trying to do is to say, Sophia is an enabler here. We are, we're trying to create an environment that fosters innovation, that fosters collaboration and sharing of good academic content. And so we are counting on the crowd and the members of the community to police the community. Where we've really tried to invest our time is to say what are the tools and the mechanisms and the algorithms that we can be running to make that easier for the crowd. It's not possible for us at scale to be policing every user and every packet, but rather we want the crowd to do that for us. So simple things, obviously rating the quality of the packet, the five-star mechanism. We have the review for academic and factual accuracy when it comes to the green check. And we have a very uh, straightforward takedown process when somebody reports abuse. We've spent a lot of time trying to learn from some of the best in the social uh, media space on how do we do that, how do we do it efficiently, how do we protect people's privacy, how do we make sure there's no risk out there to users, and at the same time, how do we create a process that's fair and balanced so that someone can't just report abuse because they don't agree with a particular uh, philosophy of social science, which is going to be the toughest one of all 
not not mathematics, not chemistry and biology, but um, political science and, and history, for example. Those are going to be tougher areas when someone reports abuse. So you've got a little bit of pushback on the use of the phrase that you use an algorithm to determine uh, if something is academically correct. I think it's fairly sophisticated. you want to describe that a little? Well, no, that's fair pushback. That it, an algorithm does not determine whether something is academically correct. People determine that. And the way that this is set up right now is actually very simple. When you create a profile in Sophia, you have the opportunity to identify yourself as an expert within an academic realm. And the, the challenge that we put out there for people is you should only do this in one of two situations. One, if you have an advanced degree in this topic, a master's degree or higher, or two, if you teach in this field. And if you uh, can satisfy one of those two things, you should identify yourself as an expert and you should tell all members of the SOFIA community why you claim that you're an expert in this area. When you're reviewing packets then in your area of expertise, you have the opportunity to evaluate its conceptual soundness and its factual accuracy. But we require three people like you to actually validate something as academically sound and conceptually correct before it would get that green check mark. So it's not just on one person. And the crowd has the opportunity to challenge your credentials if you've misrepresented yourself. There was a question about age and uh, it looks like Angie replied age 13 or up. I'm assuming that relates to the COPPA and the Children Online Privacy and Protection Act. But it occurs to me that because the site is open, someone under 13 could get, it, could get the benefit of seeing the material. They just couldn't uh, participate or upload, right? That's correct. Good. So I, we've exhausted our questions. You can keep going if you'd like. Okay, great. So I'll just remind everything that I've been doing here so far in the demo. I haven't logged in. This is all available out there. Um, and so there's some things that we're restricting to um, uh, those that have an account. It's free to create an account, um, but account holders can uh, create content, can uh, comment and rate on content, um, and can. Um, it's really hard talking. Follow other users at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's also rubbing his head and, and patting his belly at the same time. That's right. <laughs> uh, so here I've logged in as myself. Um, and I, I'm presented with a Facebookish kind of uh, dashboard that's giving me some information about things that have happened recently, some packets that I'm following, um, could be some authors that I'm following. Um, and I'm just going to jump into what it's like to create a packet. So I'm going to go to my packets here. Hey Steve, I want to make sure that something is clear that I should have done beforehand, but I uh, was thinking we would do it after, but I think it's important to do it at this point. Uh, the model for the site is <coughs> that it, at its core level it is free, right? That's right. It's free. Okay, we can get into the details later, but I mean that's sort of a question that people are probably thinking right now. And um, until you were to get to an institutional level or or some private uh, contract, uh, the the regular teacher is going to be able to use this for free. That's right. That's right. And also free of of advertising. But didn't mean to interrupt, but I think that's an important part of the story. Sure, absolutely. So I'm just going to jump in and edit a learning packet that I have out here um, just to show some of the tools that we have here. So we try to put 
make this as, as contained as we could about uh, providing editors um, places that you can um, both create content here, upload content, but also reference content that's, that's outside of Sophia. So we really have a philosophy here about, hey, if there's great learning content out there, there's no reason to recreate it, right? Let's reference it, let's curate it, um, let's tag it, uh, and, and provide the information on top of it that's going to help other users use this effectively or other, other students to, to learn from it. Um, so um, again, this is our beta version. It's our first release. So right now we're supporting you know, the basic things like text and images. Uh, it can upload videos, uh, both upload native videos as well as reference videos on YouTube. Um, I can upload my slideshows uh, and upload audio. Um, right in front of us on our, on our product roadmap is supporting more and more of these playable objects within, within Sophia. Um, so I, I can do that. I, I create multiple sections within my learning packet. Uh, each section can be a piece of what I'm teaching here. Um, and then um, the learning packet has this descriptive information that sits on top of it, um, which are my title, my learning objectives. Uh, I'm going to try to just do a page down here so I'm not scrolling. It might help with the refresh. Um, User-defined tags that I can assign to this. Uh, and then as well as we give you an opportunity to define the Creative Commons license that you want to use on the learning packet. Learning packets then can be tagged to multiple subjects and topics um, as well as to uh, courses um, uh, and uh, textbooks um, within, the, um, within the system and an education level can be marked as well. This metadata um, page here is our first take at this and we've had lots of great conversations with people about where we can take this going forward in terms of providing templates and providing more um, uh, kind of richer information around the packets itself. Um, and then just to kind of complete this, once I have my learning packet created, I can control uh, how I'm going to share it. So I can certainly publish this to the world. Anybody can access it. But I can also just publish it to a private group. So some of the uses that we're seeing in schools are teachers who are uh, either creating content or asking their students to create content, and they're doing that self-contained within their classroom. And that's the next uh, use case I'll jump into, but I just want to uh, um, pause here to see if there are any questions that have come up about the editing process itself. No, I don't think there are any about the editing process, but of course the moment I asked you about the cost, we've had three or four people ask about the business model. We'll put that in our pocket and save it for the end, but know that people are interested. Great. Oh, great. Okay. So, um, so this this last use case has really kind of emerged from behavior we've seen from from teachers using the site, and this is where um, I can go in and create a group. So, hopefully, I've got a group here I can use. Uh, here's the group. Let's say I'm a math teacher. I'm teaching linear regression, and I've created a group here um, where I've gone out and. I'm just going to pause here a minute and make sure the screen's refreshing. But as the group owner, I can go out and invite in my students. Um, uh, there's a workflow where they can accept an invitation and come in. Um, and then the group can contain packets. And in this case, it's the students who are creating the packets. Um, and so, you know, an example of use that we've seen of this is where you know, teachers realize that sometimes students learn best when they create the material and have to teach each other. Uh, so here's an example of students creating packets around linear regression and creating that. So here's a packet created by uh, Paige Chen, um, which is a student here, um, and they've um, tagged it with the subjects. They've uploaded 
uh, a slideshow around linear regression and uh, shot a video, I won't play it, of how to collect the data and a video of, of doing the, the math behind it. Um, and when a, a packet is used in this way, the question and answer uh, discourse um, can occur just self-contained within the group. So it's the discussions happening with the students. Um, these are uh, pages students who are coming out and asking questions. And then I as the teacher can come in and answer them or other students can get involved and answer this question. So the student created packets. Uh, uh, do they live in the group or do they live on the site as a whole but they're easily found within the group? Um, well, they can, it's up to the author of the packet. If they want to restrict the packet to the group, that's, that's their decision. Uh, packets can also um, live in the public and be adopted into a group. Uh, so that's something that I, I can show here. Um, Paige might get a question on slope-intercept form. And um, as a Sophia user, she may have found, let's go back to that same learning packet that we found before by Michael Morgan. So Michael Morgan is not in Paige's class, but here Paige has found this learning packet and she can decide to add it to a group that she's a member of. So here she can pick the linear regression section that she's a member of and add that packet. And by doing this now, um, Paige and her classmates can also uh, benefit, I'm, gonna, I'm probably clicking here too fast, but um, can benefit from this learning packet. And when we go to the learning packet that now lives within the group, and here it is, I'll just pause for a moment. So again, this is a learning packet created by somebody outside of Paige's group. This learning packet has been brought into the group. When we go into that learning packet, we can see that in the question and answer section, I can distinguish between the public discourse that's happening and the discourses that's hap discourse that's happening within the, the uh, private group. And Steve, um, if I could jump in here. this. This to me is like the thing that really starts to give a sneak peek in what I think the power of social education can be. And I'm not talking about Sophia specifically, I'm talking about social education generally. Um, but Sophia's tried to design this in. I mean, the example that Steve Anastasi just gave is this is something that was created by someone else. So if I'm a teacher that has a private group of my students and I'm trying to teach something, but I've found something created by another teacher or another student or a grad student or a tutor or a parent that's just really excellently done, I can bring that into my environment. I can get the benefit to give yet another option or something that I wouldn't have thought of um, and it's available to me in this platform. And I just think that's a very powerful idea. But you've gotten a couple of specific questions. Uh, Maria asked, if you, do you self-identify as a student or a teacher forever? You mean in, in, in future versions, will you always self-identify? I took um, that to mean, can you change your status, so say, if you go from a student to a teacher later? Absolutely, yes. And then, um, SC asked, can the author change the status of public slash private? Sure. You can withdraw packets from public uh, and, and choose to share them in a, in a more controlled way. Good. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. And you've got uh, somebody saying, this is awesome, so you're making progress. All right. Thanks, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've got to keep going. 
Um, well, those are the kind of those are the, the, the three basic use cases I was to walk through. What is it like for a student? What's it like to create content? And how how can teachers use this? Um, and at this point, we can we can jump into more more detail on those. We can we can take more questions. It's kind of however we want to take. Well, it let's do the question on the business model because I think that very much interested people. And then I've got a list of other questions that we can dive into and play around. And in the audience here, please feel free to put questions in the chat. I have been trying to capture them, and I'll keep asking them. Sure. Okay, so with regard to the business model, there is a near-term and a, and a long-term opportunity here. And what I would say, first of all, is that our intention and commitment is to become a profitable, self-sustaining company. That's the best way that we can continue to do interesting things and create a valuable service. But our commitment is also to keep Sophia.org available for free for students and teachers and anyone else wanting to use it, and to keep it free of distractions from advertising. Now we do see the opportunity and have interest, um, like a public radio model of certain organizations wanting to provide sponsorship. You know, this made possible by the generosity of XYZ organization. Um, but really the, the essential business model is that in the process of creating Sophia.org, we've created a platform that we know has power and has created interest among school districts and colleges and organizations on, I'd like this and I would like to be able to use it semi or fully privately so that I have more privacy and administrative controls on what's going on with my student body or my organization. And so Sophia will be introducing a licensed version of the product that could be used semi-privately or fully privately by an organization. So those of us who've been in this space for a while are probably familiar with Wikispaces. And that's, uh, you know, I think a fairly comparable model. They've done a really good job of making the core service free and then providing the more institutional services at a fee. And, and the nice thing about uh, having watched Wikispaces do that is how uh, well they seem to have supported the teacher community and gotten the support of that same community. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Maria asked, are you talking with the OER university people? Um, the OER university being, is that Tom Vanderark's? group with OER? Uh, Maria, do you know if that's Tom? I don't think it's Tom. This is the Open uh, Educational Resources University and Wiki Educator and UNESCO. No, we are not. We welcome an introduction. There you go, Maria. Just like you. Good job. Okay, so um, Don, tell me a little bit about your own kind of personal passions. You're not an educator. You are an entrepreneur. Um, but you obviously have a vision here. What, what, what's the true passion behind it? Well, I, as I said, in um, having a front seat to the uh, creation of the first online course models in the 90s, I was hooked. I, I love education. Um, before becoming an entrepreneur and a business person, I was on a path to become a high school social studies teacher. I'm a liberal arts major from the University of Wisconsin. Um, but I also have a personal connection to this. I mean, I'll, I'll share a small anecdote, but as a high school student, I was uh, very good at math up until my sophomore year in high school. And there was no coincidence that my sophomore year in high school is when I really became more interested in girls than I did in math. 
And that year I fell behind. And I look at it and say a lot of that was not just my distraction, but um, just bad luck of being connected with a teacher that I couldn't connect with and I lost interest. And I think about Sophia a lot when I look back on that time in my life and think it would have been great to be able to go out and find some other resources there, other demonstrations of that same lesson to be able to get back on track. It wasn't for lack of desire. It just wasn't a fit at that point in my life. And I think that happens across this country and across the world every given day. And there's just many different opportunities that we can make available to the students and to the teachers who, for whatever reason, can't connect with a particular student. You know, I heard you answer a question in another interview that you did where someone asked about technology and education. And uh, what, I, what I think I remember hearing was you were sort of saying, you know, education is really about making people connections. So you see this as fitting and helping with a specific need, but not obviously replacing the kind of interactions that take place between a devoted teacher and a student. Absolutely. You know, I, I just think that teachers wear many hats. They are instructors, they're tutors, they are classroom managers, they're coaches, they're assessment providers, they are curriculum designers. They're doing many, many things. And I think what Sophia is doing at this point is just providing an alternate means of instruction. It's one thing. Now, we feel like we're at the foothills of something much bigger. And ultimately, there could be other solutions here, like additional assessments or adaptive assessments or tutoring. Uh, but that's a far cry from replacing something that a teacher is doing. There's, there's just too many things to replace. And I just believe that the time of the teacher could be spent on other things while still being able to challenge and satisfy the students at their point of need when it comes to the instruction. So Libby asks about, or makes a comment about wanting students to be producers. One of the interesting things for me watching the technology space in education is the degree to which uh, Web 2.0 or participative platforms uh, often end up going in a direction that's not anticipated when the platform first starts. Uh, and a lot of us watch the difficulty that Ning had because of their, because of the financial investments that had been made in the company that really constrained it from going with the flow and required that they um, conform to some return models for, for their investors. So I think you've gotten some financing recently. How do you think about protecting yourself from, from not being able to change because of investment expectations? What do you, what personally, how do you kind of manage that balance of, of keeping yourself in a place where you can make the changes that the users want to see? Well, it's, it's hard to imagine any organization that is free from that concern, whether they have outside investment or not. You know, being solvent and viable as a business uh, in any industry at any size is a never-ending challenge, and it will never stay the same. But when I think about Sophia, the big vision here is that we are trying to create a social teaching and learning ecosystem. We want to connect millions of learners with millions of teachers or potential teachers. And so to meet people at that level of interest, to, to generate that level of excitement, we need to be highly attuned to what people are wanting. And we need to be paying attention to this community. And our um, investor and, and, and the 
vision that we've laid out is just that. We want to bring people together and we want to fundamentally impact uh, the resources and tools that people have to teach and learn, particularly around the areas of college readiness. You know, we haven't talked about this, but the sweet spot for Sophia where we're really trying to design this platform and invite community members in is grades 11 through 14, the general education curriculum, algebra, chemistry, English, the spots where particularly in the U.S. Um, most of the students are, are struggling. If, if they're not able to get into college, these tend to be the areas that are tripping them. If they're in college and struggling, these tend to be the areas that are tripping them up. We think there's a real opportunity to impact college readiness and college success if we can get at that opportunity. And that's what we've been um, focused on from the beginning. That's what our investor was interested in. Okay, so um, Monica asked a question. I'm not sure I understand the question. But she said, do you have multi-video access? And Monica, if you are still here, do you want to clarify what that question is? Or Don or Steve, do you understand that question? It might mean two things. One is, can you have multiple videos in a learning packet? Absolutely. Um, do we support lots of different video formats? We support For embedding. Yeah, we support. Um, in terms of creating videos, we support many, many different formats. Um, I certainly could provide a list. In fact, I don't think it's out on the site, but it's many. <laughs> um, Seems like Monica. Well, not quite sure what it, here, and I. I'm guessing that your answer is going to be that you don't have this, but it looks like Monica's looking for a way for the users to interact with each other synchronously. So I see. Okay. Sure. So um, we we've looked at uh, enhancing our our interaction with synchronous tools, um, you know, chat tools, interactive whiteboard tools, um, and that's that's also right in front of us on our product roadmap. We're we're actively now looking at um, who are the best. Uh, companies or tool sets to partner with. Um, what we're being very careful of is um, Sophia is not going to be a, a tool company. There are lots of um, uh, providers out there that do an excellent job of creating tools, and so we've been looking for the best that we can uh, incorporate into the site. Um, what we want Sophia to be about is the value add of the, the tagging and the mapping uh, and, the, and the collecting this content together for, for, for particular teaching. So. Um, but specifically to the question, uh, we don't have interactive um, uh, chat and uh, whiteboarding sessions now, but we, we want to add that. Good. And you've got, uh, um, um, so I was going to say a mole. What am I thinking of? You've got Angie in here asking, answering questions. I'm assuming, does An Angie work for Sophia? Yeah, Angie Eilers uh, is our Vice President of Academic Outcomes. Um, Angie is a former faculty member of Universities of Illinois and Minnesota, former Stanford uh, researcher who has been working um, primarily at SOFIA on, on helping us map out and organize when it comes to the, the common core standards and how we can better organize and tag and assist the academic community in getting at um, things that every student needs to know. Um, who's tested this, and what kind of a response have you gotten? Um, we did two levels. We did a um, 
controlled lab environment where last summer, 2010, by the way, this is a great job if you ever have a chance to get this job. <laughs> These people had a lot of fun. We had about 30 college and high school students and college and high school instructors that showed up um, every day and in front of us, you know, so that we could observe, worked on Sophia. They created learning packets. They used the system. Uh, they tried every day to break it and many times were successful and um, gave us a lot of great feedback on the platform. After that, we did an, another round of software development and then in November of 2010, we did the invitation-only beta. And in the end, uh, by the end of the four-month invitation-only beta, we had about 1,600 registered users uh, from 200 different educational organizations probably 75% of those colleges, 25% K-12 dis districts, um, representing 16 countries. So it was a phenomenal response. It completely um, blew away our expectations and we got a lot of great feedback in that process. But to me, the, the, you know, if there was a headline on the entire invitation-only beta process, it was um, the time seems to be right. People are are very easily getting this idea and seeing the possibilities of it. And that was just really exciting and gratifying for us to see. Sid is asking about some organizations I don't know, but have you considered coordinating with Luminous Degree Profile or AACNU's Value Project? We'd love to know more. I, you know, I'll be honest, um, it's been a full-time race in the last four to six weeks to keep up with the uh, emails and phone calls that have been coming in. And believe me, I'm not complaining. It's because there's a lot of interest and activity happening in this category, but it has definitely been overwhelming um, to try and respond and, and make sure that we're talking to everybody that we can and should be talking to. So anyone that's listening, um, don.smithmeyer at sophia.org, send me your advice. Send me your recommendations. I am all ears. Did I get that right? Is that email address right in the chat there, Don? You did. Okay, so we're talking to Don Smithmeyer and Steve Anastasi uh, from Sophia.org. We've got a few minutes left. Um, I think I've gotten all of the questions that came in in the chat, but if I've missed one, please feel free to just post it again or to use the hand with the green up arrow to raise your hand. Uh, Don, are you familiar with Merlot? Do you know Merlot? Yes, I know so that well. How did Nikki ask, how does Sophia compare with Merlot? Well, I, I think of Merlot as primarily a very well-organized repository um, where there are many uh, reusable learning objects in, in many different formats. And the difference with Sophia is that we're trying to think of it more as an authoring and curation environment where somebody might take a number of different learning objects, whether from Merlot or self-created or from another source, and curate them into their own original learning packet uh, to be shared with the community. Good. Uh, so Don, sort of the larger picture here, the, the changes that are taking place in sort of who has voice and, uh, and who can create. 
Um, do you ever play around with sort of visions of what that might do to formal education? Do you, uh, I know that you feel that this could be very supportive of traditional education. Do you see sort of alternative ways of educating coming out of these models? I do, absolutely. And I don't think those two ideas are, are at odds with one another either. I, you know, I think about it, um, I think social education could be far more disruptive to traditional education than online education um, has been. And what I mean by that, I, I lived through the creation of a, a university's online course. I took my first online course from a university in 1995. And at that time, discussion boards and email and communicating with anyone at a distance via the, the Internet was a radical idea. But online learning 1.0, as I think of it, was really about taking a traditional model and putting it on the Internet. But the, the instruction was really the same. You know, it, it's one instructor, it's 20 students or 30 students, it's weekly assignments and textbook readings and papers due. Um, so, you know, the format of the class uh, the, the delivery mechanism was different, but the format was the same. With social education, I really think you're, you're starting to disaggregate the model itself. You're saying that there's a lot of people out there that can contribute instructional content and instructional value. That doesn't just have to come from a professional teacher. That's a big idea. That's a big disruption. And if you're able to get your brain around that idea, then you say, well, why would it have to be the instructor providing the assessment necessarily? Couldn't that be done by somebody else? And if that could be done, couldn't the curriculum also be designed by somebody else? And ultimately, couldn't the credential be granted by someone who just acknowledges the competencies and outcomes that have been delivered? And that is a disaggregation of the educational model. Now, there's real potential there and there's real value there. I think as a business person, I look at that and say, that's a really interesting way to try and finally, once and for all, attack the cost structure of higher education in particular and start to bring down the cost of a college degree. I'm not saying earn your college degree on Sophia, but I'm saying there might be a far more cost-effective way for somebody to learn calculus or for somebody to learn chemistry or fundamental English composition. And if you could do that, it might make more resources available for things like the liberal arts or um, political science discussions or whatever that added value is that comes from a university. So I, I think that this is a very, very exciting time. And, uh, and I think it's going to be far more exciting than online learning was in the 90s and in the 2000s. So Sid wants to know if you have a vision for how this might be useful for creating alternative paths to degree credentialing. Well, here, here's a, a future that I could see, Sid. I could see, um, I could see logging on to Sophia and completing a, an assessment in the areas of, say, um, uh, calculus or writing, and finding out from that assessment what my weak areas are, and then going through a series of recommended and vetted learning packets as many times as I need to, and potentially as many packets as I need to, to get at those concepts. And I can envision actually being able to use Sophia to reach out on demand to an instructor who might be available to tutor me if I'm struggling in this environment, and then ultimately uh, completing another assessment that validates that I've earned this competency, and then at the end of that assessment, having a credentialing provider, a university or college, 
um, standing there saying, we're here to transcript and provide credit for the competency that you just established. And we'll do that at a fraction of the cost of what it would have cost you to come to our university and take a full course. There was a somewhat related question. It came from Randall. Um, is there a way to group learning packets together to form a course? And, and I'm wondering, with the many options that this kind of a platform would provide, it does seem like one of the sort of really easy next steps would be to allow people to actually offer a course through the program. Have you taken that off the table, or is that something you still could see in the future? No. In fact, if, um, going back to our business model discussion, I talked about a near-term and a long-term opportunity. We, we do see ourselves as creating a, um, a marketplace here of learners and, and teachers and assessment providers and tutors and credentialing providers. And so in our roadmap, one of the next things we'll be introducing is the idea of a learning packet playlist where an instructor or any type of expert could create a recommended list of the packets that they like. The work that Dr. Eilers is doing for us is to um, help organize and sequence the competencies and standards so that people have a sense of where they are now and where they should go next. And the simple idea is that if somebody wants to create a playlist and provide the assessment and potentially a credential or credit, they could do that in the Sophia environment. And much like Amazon or eBay, um, Sophia would simply take a tax on that transaction for, for providing the, the environment. And that's a second longer-term element of the business model here. Don, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and, and, uh, and then coming on the show. And Steve, thanks for uh, being such a good tour guide. I'm clapping for you. It's the clapping hand at the bottom of the participant window. We've reached the top of the hour. Uh, you did a terrific job. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's some genuine excitement. Uh, please spread the word. I know that uh, Don and Steve would like you to do that. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks to Illuminate Learn Central Blackboard uh, for helping support my efforts here in the future of education. And don't miss uh, Thursday Night Mitch Resnick from the MIT lab. Now, there is a raised hand. Do you have time for one more question, Don? Oh, no, he was clapping. Yes. But crisis yes. averted. <laughs> we, like to, we like to let you go right at the top of the hour because an hour is a long time and we don't want you to feel like it gets dragged on. So anyway, you did a great job. Thanks so much for being here. Any final comments? No, just thanks to all of you. And we hope that you'll take a, a few minutes and log on and, and play around and send us your feedback. Yeah, thanks, Steve. This is really rewarding to, to see the comments and, and feedback coming back. It's You kind of sit in a hole for 12 months building something and to get it out there and just to get um, the kind of response we have has really been exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting project. I'm really glad to, to have uh, been able to hear something about it tonight. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Don and Steve. Uh, we'll catch you next time. I'm going to go ahead and turn off the recording, and we'll close the room out so the recording can process, and I'll post that uh, recording link up in the next uh, couple of hours. Take care, everybody. Thanks again, and good night. Thank you all. Ciao. Ciao. So you're still on mic, you guys. <laughs> I'm sure that was your Portuguese ciao goodbye, right? <laughs>